Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Space trash. Trash in space. Space trash. Lifestyles of the rich and Uranus. Space trash. Celebrities, they're trash. But the astrology can help us understand. Transmission incoming. <laughs> Greetings, trashlings, and welcome back to another spooktacular episode of Space <laughs> Trash. <laughs> Lifestyles of the rich and uranus. That's my spooky ghost voice. I'm Ghost Sarah Armour. And I'm Molly Moonshine. Another spooky podcast coming at you now. Now we've got a lot of body horrors to go into for this podcast. Dom and Dahmer. We're talking about the Dahmer Netflix show. We're going to do it in the most respectful way that Sarah and I know how to do it, which is probably not going to be respectful enough for some people. So I would say that if you have a hair trigger respectfulness reflex, turn it off now. But we have the best intentions. Just like while we are not maybe the most practiced comedians at the most since the pan, but this is a comedy podcast first and foremost. Yeah, exactly. But speaking of body horrors, Sarah, you pulled out of a Botox session. Are you are you even friends with me? Do you even know me? How could you even come to me with this information? Botox okay. is my lifeblood. Okay, so I was editing our last pod. I was listening to our last pod and we're talking all about Ana de Armas being all ooh and ah and then you're like lol I can only do an impression as far as my Botox allows and it actually sent me into a panic because I thought well okay I I, I you know beauty has like like vanity beauty has not always been like what I've led with in terms of attraction which may I please say is a shock because you are a hottie and like when we first met performing at the same show in New York I was like oh my god finally like another feminine female comic who cares about her appearance, who's actually fucking funny, who I can hang out with. So even though you're not, you don't think that you're consciously leading with your beauty, you are. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. And also I need to just clarify so people don't think I'm a dickhead. The Ana de Armas eyebrow acting, it's an acting quirk. It's not because she has eyebrow wrinkles. I don't care. She doesn't. She has normal expression lines. From an acting perspective, it's not good. Exactly, exactly. But then I thought, okay, well, first of all, thank you so much. Thank you for thinking I was like another pretty comic. But the other piece (laughs) of it, like, I just, I love to hear it. I love to hear it. But what do I lead with then? Personality, animation, performance. If either of us actually thought we were pretty, we wouldn't be comedians. I think you're very pretty. If I, I am pretty, if either of us is pretty, it's a side effect. It is not the totally. main condition is is the thing. We're not like out here being like, I'm the sexy comic. Like, no, 
No, no, we're like literally not. We're just like, just literally leave her a five-star review on the pod, whether you listen or not. It's all we fucking want from you. But so, okay, so I made this appointment for Botox. And then I started doing this deep research on like celebrities that have gotten Botox and that have not. And I started reading all of these. We're not shaming anyone that gets Botox, but I would never. My craft is like showing my face. So now I'm like, wait a They're second, lying. Gonna- first of all, first of all, Sarah, they're lying. They're lying. Okay, so that, so there were a lot of people on that list where I was like, yeah, okay, but how does your forehead look like that? Why don't you have crow's feet? I don't know. Like Robin Wright Penn, you, it seems like you have Botox. She definitely does. My mother said to me, I have been getting Botox since you were born. That means for the last 36 years, she's your mom. They even had it back then. Yes, they did. My mother's a vein and she, trust me, if we still had money, money, she would have gotten everything. Like she doesn't leave the house only because of her neck. And I know that because we talk about it almost every conversation for the last five years. Neck. Oh my God. She's literally like, I will leave the house again when I have an extra 15 grand to literally take care of this whole area. (laughs) That's like what her motto is, but she does get Botox wrestling. She gets filler in her lips. So I made an appointment for Friday. I canceled it. And then she's like, are you crazy? She's like, you're not even going to notice except that you're just going to feel like slightly better. But then I started going on the internet and I was reading all of these horror stories. They're all lying. They all have it. Botox is basically like lotion these days. Like I will say it's understandable to panic because it's scary. It's scary to get things injected into your face. It's really fucking weird. And it's weird how commonplace it has become. It's fucked up. It's very strange. No one needs to get Botox. It's completely optional. It's cosmetic. Yes, it's cosmetic. And also a lot of people who get Botox are still going to age visibly in the face because a lot of the time aging has to do with fat loss and enlarged pores. Like there are a million different things that cause your face to age. Just getting Botox is not going to magically prevent you from aging. What it is going to do is it's going to help you to not get these deep set wrinkles. So if that is a goal of yours, do it. Do, do, you, do you need me to do shit like this? Sarah, no one listening to this podcast can see you. Each month, thousands of people are listening to this podcast, and it's not because they're loving your vaudeville facial impression. That's true. Well, that's the other thing I was thinking, too. I was like, you know, if Anna Tarvis had just gotten Botox before this, would she have had a better performance? She might have. Because she wouldn't have been able to rely on all four She was relying on the eyebrows, yeah. But again, no one needs to get it. I mean, if you don't want it, you shouldn't get it. No, I want it. I want it. I've met a lot of celebrities in my day. In my day job, I meet celebrities. The best looking one I've ever seen who looked fucking incredible was Bernadette Peters. Oh my God, I love Bernie. And she still had lots of wrinkles around her mouth and on the sides of her eyes. You can tell she's never touched her crow's feet or if she did, it's minimal. And she hasn't touched the sides of her mouth. I think as long as you still have movement in the bottom half of your face, you're still going to look like a human. And as long as you still have the ability to have crow's feet on your eyes, you're going to look like a human. If you don't have any movement or wrinkles in your forehead or in your frown lines, it's really not going to make a big dent in looking normal. Do you know what I mean? I'm the biggest baby with needles. I pass out from needles. Whenever I get blood taken, whenever I get any sort of injection whatsoever, I literally pass out, which I mean, Botox has been really good with getting me used to needles, which is a plus. So the first time I was going, I was really nervous. I got the 11s. I got a Botox brow lift, which I try to do sparingly. All of my research online and something that my mother did also say that sometimes happens is that you're like, when I saw that the Ariana Grande before after Botox and her eyebrows were literally two different. No, she didn't. That was not Botox. That was a facelift. 
oh yeah oh yeah like they lie they lie dude like jen shaw going on the reunion for real housewives of salt lake city and being like oh i've only had injectables she's fucking lying oh shit and like the kardashians get botox they get so much more than botox the reason why they look weird is so many other things are on that list before botox you know what i mean so okay so the first time i went i mean i don't even remember because it was probably two years ago it hurt way less than i thought it was gonna hurt your skill is not your eyebrows it is well known in acting circles that eyebrow acting is the lowest form of acting so you know what if you get botox you're incapable Dahmer, the monster on netflix molly what were your thoughts I thought it was very well done. I'm really not a fan of true crime because we know, we know. Yeah, it's too sad and creepy. And I don't need to know what these people thought. I mean, they're, as we say in my family, defective units. Like Jeffrey Dahmer (laughs) is a DU. He's a defective unit. Case closed. There's no... There's nothing from his formative years that made him into that. There's nothing even from his genes that made him into that. I think that some people just are evil and he's one of those people. And so the only thing I didn't like about, I mean, I skipped a lot of episodes. I I watched episodes one, two, and three. And then you told me seven is when we go back to Glenda Campbell. And I was like, this bitch I care about. This, This show more than anything is about racism and homophobia. Yes, racism and homophobia. And I think it, it did a really good job of showing that Jeffrey Dahmer is just one fucked up person in the middle of a bunch of real people. And what Ryan Murphy is so good at is making you feel for every character in the show. Like in that first episode, you felt for Glenda Campbell, the neighbor. You felt for Tracy, the victim. I even felt for Jeffrey Dahmer because I didn't know the full extent. And I just was like, this guy is such a fucking freak and a weirdo and he's evil and he's a sociopath and a psychopath. And I still feel bad for him. And like, that is what Ryan Murphy is able to do. Like in American horror story, season one, you're just like all these people, you feel, you feel for them and you feel their humanity and half of them are ghosts. Like that is skill as a director and a showrunner and a writer. It's fucking incredible. And like the amount of times that I cried watching this, just so upset for Glenda Campbell. Glenda was like the star of this whole thing. And Niecy Nash, if there was like a top 10 list of people from Hollywood that I would love to hang with someday, even just in terms of like going from like Reno 911 to this, it's like, what an interesting person. Like she must be a great hang. She must be cool as shit. Yes. There was someone, someone tweeted like she's known for a while what was up. And it was a screenshot of her in Reno 911 saying what people are on some fucking weird shit and uh, it was just so good this, like, this is like a nice this is a nice 2.0 of that this is a nice follow-up to that yeah 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 i mean there's so much chatter around this show being like it's glorifying a criminal blah 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 and it's like if you're watching this show and thinking that it's glorifying a criminal i'm a little scared of you first of all and right. second of all, i thought that the people that i felt for the people that just made me feel so sad and hopeless and crying was the victims and the people around him glenda campbell it was all about her and the show is all about her and for that reason i just thought it was incredible because it's a show about the way that the system fails everyone yes yes 
In the first episode, when Tracy, his name is Tracy Edwards, uh, he's running out of the house, finally gets away. He's got the handcuffs on and he's he, he finds a cop car and he flags them down and he has to kneel down on the ground and put his hands up because he's a black man. And he knows that even though a white man just tried to kill him and rape him and cut up his body, the cops are still going to take that white man's side. And like that to me was just, I mean, I, I just, it was, it's so poignant and it's so sad and it's so fucking awful. And I think the good thing about this show is there's a lot of really weird white people that love true crime. (laughs) (laughs) There is, and they're all going to be watching this show and they're going to maybe, it's going to maybe finally seep into their brains that white people and black people are treated differently by the police. That's why I thought Ryan Murphy, who I, I have loved Ryan Murphy since day one. Didn't Ryan Murphy do Nip Talk? Did you watch I Nip Talk? Think, I think so. I never did. Okay. You want to talk about a show that you would fucking love? Speaking of Botox, Nip yeah. Talk. I'm going to double check, but I think Ryan Murphy did Nip Talk. And Nip Talk was my first show that I was like obsessed with. It was like this really soapy Miami plastic surgery show, but it was like also showing the lives of the plastic surgeons and the lives of the people that they, like every episode was sort of like standalone if you wanted it to be because every person coming in had their own story and then they would like work with that person. That's cool. But then it was also, it's a great, you would love this show. I love crime. I don't love horror. I feel like Ryan Murphy turned, he's part of the movement that turned television into cinema right so even if he's doing serial television he's a filmmaker he's not a tv maker do you know what i mean yeah and i loved evan peters from the jump he had cast evan peters in the first american horror story like we don't really hear that much about him like i guess he was engaged to emma roberts which was the only thing off camera that we knew about him but like he's really bitchiest celebrity i've ever met shut the fuck up you have to tell okay you have to tell about that okay so i was at the observer at the time new york observer covering tribeca film festival and i was on the red carpet which was one of my favorite things to do because you just talk to everyone who comes by and it was a a movie that was directed by gia coppola it was called palo alto james franco was the star emma roberts was his high school aged love interest which is extremely ironic and weird considering after the fact arose about him sexting teenagers so this was around the time that when i went to this event and was tasked with interviewing emma roberts this was the time that was hashtag ask her more what yeah it was don't ask women at premieres what they're wearing ask them about their roles and for me as a reporter as a human in this world i truly (laughs) believe there is nothing more boring than hearing actors talk about acting no one fucking cares and and all the female actors at that time the actresses at that time were like well they always ask men about their roles they don't ask them about their clothing and it's like yeah because their clothing is boring so we ask them about their roles and then we don't make anything out of it they're not getting any screen time about this because it's fucking boring what are you not getting about this 
we are asking about your clothing because we're fucking obsessed with everything that you do and you're stunning and gorgeous and we love you. And it was invented by Joan Rivers. We're we're asking you about your clothes because women wear clothes every day and women understand that their clothing is being analyzed every day. But having in mind, which again, I never subscribe to this ideology that asking a woman about her clothing is bad. I think that the most intelligent women in the world have the most have incredibly interesting thoughts about what they wear and I want to hear them talk about it. I want to hear it. With all of the ask her more stuff in mind, I said, let me ask Emma Roberts more. Let me ask her more. It is the hashtag du jour. Right. It's the hashtag du jour. I'm going to ask her more. And so I said, listen, Emma, you look beautiful tonight. I don't even know if I said that. I probably didn't because I was too scared of being called sexist as a woman even. (laughs) It's so great to see you. So this film that you're in was directed by Gia Coppola. Francis Ford Coppola is her grandfather and Sofia Coppola is her aunt. Two legends in the directing world. How would you say her cinematic style compares to theirs great question thank you she shut down she was so pissed she goes um i think that's a question for gia not for me Okay, all that really tells me is that she's never seen another one of the Coppola movies in her life. Exactly. And I think she's not a proponent of Ask Her More. She would have been very happy to be asked less. I mean, she's a nepotism celeb, but I mean, I just thought it was so nasty, so rude. I hate any celebrity. That's the question for Gia. How about about you just like make up an answer, Emma? How about say, I think it's a little more nuanced and then just never, and then that's it. Yeah. Just make this easy for us. We don't want to be here fucking hustling either. Like, just say a sentence for us. Anyway, that's why she's the rudest celebrity I've ever encountered. And I've heard the same thing. Well, she and Evan, really? Well, she and Evan have had like sort of a... She domestically abused him. What? We can't get into this. It's off the topic, but she got arrested for domestically abusing him. Everyone who cares, go Google it. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much. Everybody Google Emma Roberts' domestic assault of Evan Pierce. Yeah. But I did think that Evan was wonderful in this. There was something about this. I wanted to say there are two things about this series really resonate with our last film that we talked about, Blonde. He is a blonde, which I just was watching it and being like, when is this guy getting the time and money to get highlights in between working at the butcher shop and chopping everybody up? (laughs) It's fucking insane. And also terrible tidy whiteies. Same as Blonde, the Marilyn Monroe film. Something else that was really crazy to me about the victims is the way that most of the time we think about people that are going to kill us as people that creep out of a dark alley and pull you away. The victims that went to Jeffrey Dahmer's house, they were people that wanted to forget life for a minute. They wanted to have this moment of bliss, of sex, of orgasm, and or drinking, getting fucked up. The weirdest thing about it was him being this super 80s guy and talking about brewskis all the time. That was like doing a Dahmer, having some brewskis and making fun of the mentally. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That was so weird. So I was like, okay, if we don't want to name the episode Dom and Dahmer, because it's, I was just thinking my mom and I watching Dom and Dahmer was Dom and Dahmer. Apparently doing a Dahmer when he was in high school was like what everybody knew him for because he would go into this like mentally. He would be doing weird impressions of like mentally disabled but also in the in and the that's 80s. what everybody know him for in high school right and like in the 80s that was like 
This is the time of that one John Hughes film with Long Duck Dong. Like the highest form of humor in the 80s was like making fun of Asian people or other minorities or mentally disabled people. Like it was a very stupid time for humor where it was just like, let's just make fun of the downtrodden and act like them. And that counts as a joke. I think that them pretending that that's an indication that he was a serial killer is disingenuous because I don't think that was indicating he was a serial killer i think that was them showing that he did x y and z to try to fit in and that and then that's that's what how i took it i didn't think it was serial killer. yeah I think you're it right was showing like he wasn't a total because like a lot of times when you read these stories about like 10 bundy was like a cool dude casey was obviously a fucking dork a weirdo loser i feel like the whole thing with john casey is that he john gacy. john gacy gacy sorry casey gacy <laughs> Casey, who they brought in. So you didn't watch the very end. You didn't watch nine or 10. I started watching nine. I didn't watch 10. So the Gacy execution in the series comes during a, we love to see it, solar eclipse, the day that Dahmer got baptized. So he in prison found Christ and got baptized and absolved from his sins on the same day that there was a solar eclipse and that Gacy was executed. I thought that the whole whole early part of the series was trying to show that he wasn't a total outcast, but that he sort of used making fun of others as a way to connect to the cool guys. Yeah, I was really confused by, I mean, and I I didn't think that I would watch this series and get a real sense of what it means to be a mass murderer, because I don't think anyone knows what that means. The one solace that I took from this was the fact that a person who's this pro prolific of a mass murderer is so rare. It almost never happens. But I was just like, I don't think there's any living human alive who can understand why someone acted that way. And it was confusing to see how they showed him reaching out for connection one minute and being obviously a complete psychopath another minute like I I thought there were certain moments in the series where they sort of over intellectualized him as a person where they were like oh well he just wants people to be around him he doesn't want to be alone blah blah it's like no I don't think it's that emotional of a longingness I think he just doesn't have the chip in his brain that makes him understand that you don't murder people and cut them up I think it's that simple I watched a ton of body language analysis of Jeffrey Dahmer during some of his in-prison interviews. And one of the things that I found fascinating was that across the board, again, quack science, who knows, but across the board, none of the body language analysts who I referenced or who I watched, well, they all said the same thing which is that he's not a psychopath. He's a monster. He is evil. But that like psychopathy shows a certain disconnect from society, whereas Jeffrey apparently does show remorse and understanding of what he did. He just was too compulsive, too unsupervised. And there was lots of diagnosis of him. But when he gets actually like busted, finally, he's like, I deserve to die for what I've done. And he did feel, according to these body language analysts, he actually did feel for the families of the people that he murdered. How many people jacked off for a whole summer after their parents got divorced and didn't end up killing 16 people? 
people. Yeah, but how many people are actually jacking off to murdering and eating people? I don't think the number's that high. I think it's more than we think. I think with the with the show, it's like the dad is like, I've had these thoughts before, blah, blah, blah. And right. it's like, yeah, that's pathological and that's fucking insane. And yet you were able to not act on it. The son was not able to not act on it. The son chose to act on it. Right. I just think it's a genetic defect that rises once in a while that someone is capable of doing these things like I think there are people like the dad who have intrusive thoughts about it and they don't do it but I don't think that him having those intrusive thoughts has anything to do with the fact that his son acted on them I don't think anything the parents did probably could have changed that like the only time I've ever encountered a person who was like true evil when I was waitressing in Asbury Park New Jersey and (laughs) I sat this table and there was an extremely elderly man and the other guy was him was like in his 60s and I looked at this guy and I looked like his eyes were black like his his pupils were just covering his entire eye and he was the most terrifying man I've ever seen in my life and he was so mean to me and he was just so nasty and I was just like this guy has killed someone like this is just one of those people who's missing a chip and his his dad who was with him was this, a very sweet man and like he looked like a guy who had enough money to live normally and I was just like this guy's a fucking mass murderer look at the the fucking um the jinx that guy I just don't think your upbringing has that much of an impact on it and I think the dad and the mom's biggest issue is the fact that they tried to capitalize on it writing the book that was sickening well so I had the same thought too because I was watching this whole thing with my mom mm-hmm. my mom's thing because I was like how could he write a book blah 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 and my mom was like I don't know. I might write a book. (laughs) Right. She might write a book, but she would share the revenue with the survivors, families or the victims, families. We hope. We hope. Well, because the thing about the father relationship was that like what they did try to show is that like his father did try to raise him. He did care about his son. He did love his son. His mother loved his son, Dahmer's grandmother. And there's a lot of blame between the parents, like between Joyce and Lionel Dahmer, the parents of Jeffrey Dahmer, there was a lot of like shit throwing. What names? Them, like, what names? Joyce and Lionel. So, yeah. so Lionel's going, this is your fault because you were on 26 prescription drugs when you were pregnant. And she's going, this is your fault. You taught him to dismember animals and put them in acid and how to like, how to save the bones and how to work with the body parts and how to like, you know, conceal or how to get rid of evidence essentially. And it's like, at the end of the day, there's a lot of people who have fucked up parents. There's a lot of people who have weird childhood proclivities. There's a lot of people most likely whose mothers were on prescription drugs while they were in utero. Very few of them become the level of prolific serial killer. I just want to say, I think it's like a three times a generation lightning bolt thing that happens. I don't think if if your kid is born with this proclivity, there's nothing you can do to make it not happen. Like, yes, there are studies that show that kids who murder one person are more likely to have had this or that type of upbringing. Yes, but when it comes to these completely psychotic psychotic serial killers it's just i just think they're born that way that's why i skipped so many of those episodes in the middle because i was just like yeah i get it he had a fucked up childhood so does everyone so does everyone right yeah i don't need to see all these murders i want to see the fallout and the fallout episodes were very good so episode like seven eight and nine 
uh, the Laos family that had the two boys that were both assaulted by Dahmer, one that pressed charges against him and he went to like a correctional facility for like five minutes. And then he ultimately killed the, the younger brother. But they were getting these prank calls over and over and over again from someone that was like, now that you have this check, take your fucking immigrant ass back to Ching Chong land or whatever. Yeah, and apparently yeah. that actually was the police. So like the police were, it was were the police harassing the victims. It was so in the <gasps> series and in real life it was the the two police i thought it was then Dahmer's dad because that one was uh, the police no Dahmer's dad lived in guilt and shame his whole life he did try to capitalize with the book deal it was the police officers that were harassing the victims after the fact that's so terrible do you think that jeffrey Dahmer had sinus problems sinus how was he not affected by the smell but everyone else was you meet a lot of people in life who aren't affected by smells when you live in Europe. Hmm. There's a lot of people in this world who fucking stink. They smell so bad. And you say to them, hey, did you ever think about deodorant? And they're just like, no. So Mm -hmm. he might be one of those people. Some people lack the gene for smelling things, I think. I don't know. It's fucking terrible. So the police reports showed and in the series they showed that he was saving skulls. He was saving X, Y, and Z. There were a few body parts that he kept intact including a couple of the men's penises. Do you think he kept just the shaft or do you think he also kept the balls? Ew, Sarah. Something to think about. I think it was probably just the penis because I think the balls would shrivel way quicker and they wouldn't, like the amount of skin that connects the penis to the balls is probably minimal. So once the balls started to shrivel, they would probably just fall away and you'd be like, Damn. fuck it, whatever. And I think you probably would have eaten the balls if he's going to eat oh, anything. Okay. Yeah, okay. But sure. oh, this was the main thing on Twitter that people were upset about is lots of white girls on TikTok being like, wow, I'm so disappointed that the Dahmer series wasn't graphic enough. They didn't show enough fucked up shit. It gave me nightmares. I haven't had nightmares for years. The first three episodes are, he's like literally holding intestines in the palm of his hand and jerking off to it. It's about as graphic as I've ever seen. Yeah, it's terrible. And these girls are like, wow, like, I can't believe how tame this show was. And I'm like, if you're going on TikTok to like flex about the fact that you weren't disturbed enough by this. You're you're disturbed. Scary person, scary person. There were a huge amount of people once Jeffrey was in in prison that were sending him fan mail and like i'm your biggest fan right back to i me. know I, that's what happened with that's crazy. that's those girls on tiktok being like this wasn't gory enough those are the girls that would be writing to him that's like so sick yeah charles manson got married in prison that is just like so fucking weird to me like i just can't imagine women anything. are fucking embarrassing they're embarrassing i'm embarrassing too i'm sure you just shared your screen with me can you please scroll up are you getting these ads for the bunion safe yes you are designed for bunions i have bunions do you no i don't have bunions but i get these i just every found day. out how did you find out i was getting a massage and the woman was like where do you experience pain blah, 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 blah. and i told her sometimes i have pain in like my big toe and sometimes i have pain in my ankle whatever and she was like oh you have bunions and she's like they're totally genetic i'm sure your mother and your grandmother have bunions too well remember i was like i can't wear heels anymore like it just kills my feet it's because i have bunions i didn't know why i thought i was just a sloppy joe no it's because i have bunions well you should buy these shoes like don't you think they're kind of cute vivaya actually think there's a bunion kit i want to get to wear under normal shoes that hope 
hopefully we'll correct the problem before it gets too late. Like yeah, do it. Point. What can you tell me about, I mean, whose birth chart are we going to do? The thing that I found fascinating when I compared the charts of Evan Peters and Jeffrey Dahmer is that they both have zero degree, zero degree suns in air signs. So Jeffrey Dahmer is a zero degree Gemini sun. Evan Peters happens to be a zero degree Aquarius sun. Oh my God. Evan Peters being an Aquarius sun makes so much sense. Right. And a zero degree Aquarius sun. So it's like he's coming from, you know, whenever you see a zero degree sun in a chart, there's a lot of different interpretations on it. There's no right answer. It's all, you know, interpretive arts. But on a soul level, the radiant energy, the ego of this person has like almost like graduated the the sign before, right? So if you think in terms of Evan Peters and why from such an early age, he's been able to have such a, such a controversial yet successful acting career is because as a zero degree Aquarius, he sort of like from a soul level has been through the Capricorn ringer of all the different positions of power. And now he's right. It makes me, it makes me think his acting is so much more analytical than it is emotional. He's able to look at everyone in the world and pull from that, whatever he needs for each character. Whereas like somebody who's maybe a Pisces actor would just be like, I'm going to do what feels right from the inside. But you can tell that Evan Peters is looking at the exterior and he's picking and choosing in a very cold and detached way. Evan Peters has a zero degree Aquarius sun trine his three degree Libra moon. So he really is observing the people. He's no, his chart is not emotional. He's the best actor of our generation by far. I do think it's a little bit odd that, I mean, I guess he was also in, speaking of Mayor of Easttown, he was also in Mayor of Easttown. But <gasps> I do, oh my God. I remember. Like, dude, I forgot he was in that. He nailed a Delco accent. Like I'm from Delco, yes! you guys. I was born in Philly. I am from Delco and everyone was raving about about Kate Winslet's accent. No, it was great for a posh British lady. It was great. But him, oh my God. He nailed the weird fucking sex appeal of a Delco man. The yes. accent he nailed. Oh my God, he was so hot. I can't deal. Well, I can't deal. I'm which, upset that also- you even reminded me of his role in Mayor of Easttown because I'm like... Oh my God, how am I going to live? So hot. Even in this, he actually nailed the weird sex appeal. Exactly. I also think Niecy Nash was so incredible in it. She made me cry like five times, five times over the last two days. I have not cried that much from a show. Like, oh my God. I know. I think Niecy's really like... We haven't seen, I think, Nisi I think and, if we're, I, if we're going into a Nisi Nasha songs, I'm happy about that. She hasn't gotten the prestige right. roles yet. I mean, she's in the Anna DuVernay, like she was great in Selma. She's, she's getting more meaty roles, but I do think, yeah, like it'll be interesting to see how her career evolves because she really is an actor with a lot of range. And, you know, it's interesting. I'm looking at Nisi's chart. Speaking of Pisces performers, when we are watching Nisi Nash perform, Nisi Nash is a low degree sun in Pisces conjunct her Venus conjunct her North Node. Nisi Nash is intuiting when she's acting. But funny enough, Nisi Nash and Evan Peters have almost the exact same moon. So they both have a moon in Libra. So ultimately, they have an easy time putting on different characters for size or balancing within a scene. Like I think the combination of Nisi and Evan in this is 
absolute perfect casting. Obviously, it turned out good. And the casting was based on more than their astrology. I'm, I'm not sure it was based on their astrology. But if it was, this would also be a match. Like I could totally see Nisi and Evan really being ideal scene partners for each other. They both have Libra moons. Now he has his Mercury in Aquarius. Nisi also has her Mercury in Aquarius. So the way that she approaches roles is also very cerebral, but then she actually feels into it, I think, more than, than Evan does. Evan's North Node and Mars are conjunct in Aries. So I think we can see that in the kind of roles that he's taken, like the way that his career has sort of, he's branching out a bit, but it's sort of been like a myriad of really spooky Ryan Murphy roles. And I think that he probably did have to make that decision early in his career. Like I'm willing to trust my impulses. I'm willing to trust that my impulses, my creative impulses are leading me to the right place. He and Nisi have the same Mars. She also has a Mars in Aries. So it's kind of like once they start working together in a scene, they really both are intuitive players. Nisi is much more of a Piscean emotional performer, but they both are driven from that impulsive place. I think they probably prepare a bit differently for roles, but it comes across sort of in the same way where they're both being sort of they're both displaying this passionate work and they're being driven by impulse. I bet within scene, they're probably very good at improvising together. These two are scene partners of my dreams. I would not be surprised if this is one of many collaborations that we see from the two of them, sort of an unlikely pairing. And yet it really works. Their moon in the same place, they're able to communicate about what's going on within the scene and, and sort of tag team each other's impulses from the Libra Aries axis in a way that's like, okay, I'm going to move the scene forward in this way. I'm going to trust that you're going to hit the ball I just served at you. And they're always kind of as Libra moons seeking to balance the scene, seeking to meet the partner where they are. Really, this is a wonderful matchup between Evan and Nisi. And I think it translates. Nisi's exterior really is of this like Venusian feminine goddess, but then she also has that cerebral Mercury and that cerebral moon, giving her the ability to sort of behind the scenes be thinking, on the surface be feeling. Again, it's probably why Nisi was very good on Reno 911. I think Nisi's probably one of the better improvisers. Like, I actually am kind of curious about her. If anybody knows, like, did Nisi get her start in improv? Like, I would not be surprised if we found out that Nisi was discovered at, like, Groundlings or something. This is the chart of a character act. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Jeffrey Dahmer 
is a Libra rising. His North Node and his Pluto are in the 11th house, the collective, the public, the community in Virgo. So he is here to like examine the body, become obsessive about the body, pulling apart the body. And his Pluto is opposite his Chiron. So it's like for whatever spiritual soul wounds this Chiron in Pisces was inflicted with, his id his Pluto, his deep unconscious power center is opposite that wound. And then it's with his North node kind of like pulling him towards his obsession, his infatuation, his darker desire. Zero degree sun in Gemini conjunct Lucifer in the eighth house. He really is Dom and Dahmer. He has this one part of his persona that he's like doing a Dahmer IRL and he's just like being funny and being sort of unassuming and attracting people why am I attracted to this white boy you're a special white boy like they all were like giving him so much benefit of the doubt and then it would be like surprise I'm actually Dahmer and I'm gonna eat your body I'm actually not Dom I'm Dahmer and zero degree if we if we actually break it down like this like zero degree son in Gemini he is one shell of a person in the eighth house then he brings you in, gets intimately connected with you, becomes the other version of himself. And then he actually like in the most literal eighth house sense is merging with you, is merging your bodies, is trying to fill that, you know, perhaps zero degree emptiness of his own character with other people's, uh, you know, flesh, souls, stories. Like he just, he wanted, he did want to consume people. He wanted to take you in and fill himself with you. It's fucking disgusting. You know, there's a grand trine between Jeffrey Dahmer's Venus in Taurus, North Node at 21 Virgo, and his Saturn in Capricorn in the third house. So like this goes to show you where like sometimes grand trines in the chart, it's not just that trine energy is like a beneficial thing. It's actually like trine energy just means that this is an easy, there's a harmonious flow to these planets and their assignments. There's an ease of energy with these different planets working together. And so it's like, okay, well, his Venus, the way that he attracts and his Saturn, you know, what he's building, what he's doing with with himself, the, the accumulation of his work and the boundaries, blocks and restrictions that he ultimately faced both before and after he was caught. Saturn in Capricorn, he wants control. He wants to be the man in power. North Node in Virgo, trying that Venus in Taurus, this beautiful grand trine, comes out in this really ugly way where he's able to entice people, take the power, and then, you know, like study their bodies. He also has a pretty intense T-square. I mean, there's an opposition between Pluto at three degrees Virgo and his Chiron at two degrees Pisces, making a T-square with that Mercury and Sun in Gemini. And so there really is this, he's trying to find the balance between his deep wound and his id and his obsessive power center. And it actually just comes out in the way of I'm pretending I'm one person just so that I can be this other person and trick you into coming over. He also has a grand cross of the angle. So he has his Saturn at Capricorn, like I said, in the third house. And then he has a Saturn IC. His ascendant is in Libra. His MC, the height of his legacy is in Cancer. So it's like, yeah, what he's doing behind closed doors and actually what he's doing to, it's disgusting, but like nourish himself. And he is really rebranding 
the idea of inner work. Uh, he's doing innards work, lol, lol, lol. His moon is at Aries. So this is a cardinal cross. So it's like a lot of what he's doing, there really is no blueprint for. There really is no, you know, he's doing his own thing. This is big leadership energy. And, you know, he happens to be leading in a fucking disgusting, nefarious, predatory. I mean, it's like, I don't even have the words. He's a, literally a monster. The, the show is aptly titled, but he is kind of doing his own thing. I mean, the thing about cardinal energy that you find sometimes is that they are really good at starting energy. They're not great at finishing energy. So it's like, of course, you know, he figured out the perfect system to lead ugh, in this area, the perfect system to get people to do what he wants, to get people to come over, to get people to let their guard down, to get people in these vulnerable positions. I mean, seventh house moon in Aries, not only is that showing his need for relationships that serve satisfy and feed his primal need to keep other people for himself or to do what he wants with people. But it also shows how people feel about him in relationships, which is that ultimately he gets them feeling their most primal fight energy, whether it's a freeze fight or flight response. He is bringing his partners into his life. They don't even know what a major seventh house commitment it is. And then he's actually transforming them into, you know, his fucking disgusting science projects and dinner. It's, it's nasty. The other thing that's worth noting is he has a yod, which is a finger of God between his Neptune in Scorpio at seven degrees, his Mars in Aries at eight degrees and his Mercury in Gemini at six degrees. I do think it's interesting that Nisi, Evan, and Jeffrey Dahmer all have Mars in Aries. Like they're all coming at this project, him being the original creator of the project of being a serial killer cannibal, lol. But they're, this is a primal project for everybody. And it's really getting everybody into there. It's sort of like triggering everybody's desire to fight or to embody that warrior energy for the side that they're on. I mean, in this case, a yacht is when you have two planets that are sextile, meaning in a harmonious relationship. So in this case, we have his Mercury at six degrees Gemini, where his sun is also very close. Sextile, his Mars in Aries. So they're sort of working together. And then there's two, it's 150 degrees. It's called a quincunx. So between Neptune, the planet of delusion and dissolution and dissolving and fantasy, is in a quincunx with Mercury. His Neptune is also in a quincunx with Mars. And so a Yod, otherwise known as the finger of God, is a faded patterning that really shows that you need to basically diffuse that triangular. In this case, it's his Neptune in Scorpio that is the finger, that is the the the, the pointer of the Yod. And usually that energy finds relief between the sextiled planets, which would be that, which would be the Taurus energy, which is where his Venus is. So it's like, okay, yeah, he's feeling the impulse of his desires. He's having thoughts about what to do about the impulse of his desires. He's got a lot of different ways it could go with that Mercury and Gemini. I could eat them. I could just drill a hole in their head. I could draw them. I could just let them go and they're not going to remember who I am or they're not going to believe what they say because I'm a white guy. And so I'm going to use the system to my advantage. Like he did really think this through based on his impulses. And so then, okay, that Taurus Venus is where the release of this energy is. And so it's like, okay, ultimately he's like, how do I get what I want? How do I, how do I attract, receive, grow the thing that I value? And Taurus, it's related to the body. Yeah. He's going to, there's a, there's a faded 
element here where, I mean, the sad thing is like in another person's chart, again, like why would he be a great physical therapist or why would he be a great surgeon or something? Because actually at his best, he's really loving the body and he's really honoring the body and and getting back down to basics. I don't, I think the, <laughs> I would say like the darkest expression of this energy is that he's uh getting down to basics, meaning salt and pepper or Old Bay. I mean, it's fucking disgusting, but he could actually bring a lot of healing to people's bodies instead of just satiating his own desire to be totally controlled by his id. But it's Libra season. We have Evan Peters with a Libra moon, Jeffrey Dahmer with a Libra rising, Nisi Nash with a Libra moon. Jeffrey Dahmer's wounded spiritually. He's wounded creatively. He's also coming from that south node in Pisces, like anything is possible, higher level, godlike uh, abuse, abusive escapist place. Jeffrey Dahmer is just built like this. When I look at this chart, Libra risings are so attractive. Libra risings can really just make you feel like they're the person that you were like waiting to meet. And they're all so attractive. They're all so pretty. They're all so cool. They do whatever they can do to balance the energy in whatever scene that they show up and participate in. And then they can get you to go home with them. Jeffrey Dahmer has an Aries moon in the seventh house. So it's like, oh, in this case, Jeffrey Dahmer gets you to go home with him to satisfy the deep needs of his Aries moon in the seventh house. So it takes other people for him to actually express his deeper longings of his ego, of his own, you know, Aryan, Aryan, I guess that's not what I mean, of his own Aries moon desire, which is to now like take you home, drug you, control you, chop you up, serve you for dinner, and then fuck your dead body. Maybe not in that order. He also has his zero degree sun conjunct his Mercury. Now he has his sun, Mercury, Venus, all in the eighth house. The eighth house is the house of deep transformation, of death and rebirth, of other people using other people as resources. It is the dark arts. It is the occult. It is the things that happen behind closed doors that we work actively to keep from other people. We actually want to keep the eighth house sort of private. We all do. And the eighth house is interesting too, because the eighth house represents the eighth house is ruled by Scorpio, AKA Pluto. So there's a, there's very much an obsessive nature to the eighth house and a, a desire to live out the fantasies of your Pluto. Now, his sun is at zero degrees Gemini. His Pluto is square at three degrees Virgo with his north node in Virgo. So for him, for Jeffrey Dahmer, he really is, I think for the first part of his life, in an absolute deadlock battle between what his fantasies are versus what he's being compulsively north node also with his pluto in virgo he actually made a routine of the way that he would get his victims 11th house the community there was a way that he would entice them to come back to his place i'll give you 100 bucks i'll give you 50 bucks Uh, you know he would bring them back to his place and then then he would have these routines that he would enact on them where he would become clinical about the way that he would do this like creepy ass work in the world. That's not to say that everybody with this chart would be a serial killer or a murderer. Certainly not. I think someone with this chart also would be a wonderful physical therapist or a wonderful um, (laughs) surgeon, you know, seriously, it's like, but like, no matter what with this chart, 
Yeah, he's too invested. He's too invested in human anatomy. Mm. He just, he's just, right. He's obsessed with other people's anatomy. He's obsessed with the bodies of other people. And he's with the knee bones connected to the thigh bone, the thigh bones connected to the. I'm jerking off to all of it. Yeah. I'm personally, uh, Sarah is not Jeffrey jerking off to all of it. And like all that eighth house, again, I'm an eighth house moon Mars. So I'm not saying that like everybody with eighth house should is like a serial killer or an obsessive compulsive murderer but i do think that that zero degree gemini son with his i mean he has zero degree gemini son conjunct asteroid lucifer he is here to sort of work with that energy of the devil there was a there was right and like nothing and nothing in anyone's chart is going to seal the deal that they're a good or bad person it's got so much more to do with their upbringing, their surroundings, their choices. Like there's nothing in a chart that is like, oh, you're evil unless you're a Taurus. <laughs> which which <laughs> he almost is a Taurus. He's a zero degree Gemini. So he was like a Taurus in all the past lives. And this time right. he's trying out something else for size. The only reason I say that is because every dictator is a Taurus. And all the dictators are Taurus. All the it, like, are I mean, I'm willing to believe that there can... I'm willing to believe that there can be a dictator who does a good job in the 20th century. There wasn't, and most of them were Tarai. So, you know, but anyway, I, I'm just saying like, we're not trying to say if you have the chart of Jeffrey Dahmer, you're, you're probably fine. You're probably fine. He's one in a million. I don't mean to compliment him. He's one in a million. This guy is very special in his own way, but yeah, that's it, the you thing. Know, always- when you're watching this show, you're just like, how could anyone have, pulled this off like this it's almost it almost gives you solace because like it's obviously horrific and it's so terrible and at the same time you're just like so many fucked up things had to collide for this to happen like the cops had to have been homophobic and racist the guy had to have been slightly good looking enough to get people to come to his house it has nothing to do i mean his birth chart obviously shows what he could be or couldn't be or what his tendencies lie but if you're evil you're evil right and i think that what the birth chart shows is just like what the underlying psychological impulses are yes. so like for example it's like you can have an evil person modest- in any sign you can have evil in sure. any birth chart and, and, and in any house it could lay it any way but i think in this case we see that he has his moon in aries he also has his mars in the sixth house in aries that's the virgo house so he really is compulsively obsessed with i'm telling you personal trainer would have been a better field obsessed with the body personally obsessed with with exploring and turned on by and you know, driven by exploring the body and obsessing about the body. And so that's why, like, you know, a lot of serial killers kill people, but they don't always grill their livers and they don't always keep their skulls for, you know, for good measure and the, you know, for later for the altar, you know, so really this, guy weird. Was, this guy was specifically ritualistic. He was specific. He, he didn't realize he was hurting people. He didn't see other people's personhood. Right. I mean, it's all very, very demented i mean it this is goes without saying his egoism and his selfish desire to to not control these very dark impulses is what ruled his life with the thing that i want to know is in terms of like the cultural lexicon i mean when you look at the list of times that Dahmer has been 
a lyric in a song over the past 20 years, it's that, overwhelming. What do you think of that? Because no one can understand it. It's a myth. It becomes mythological when you can't understand it. The reason why Marilyn Monroe has got to mythic status is because we can't understand how she did that, how she was so magnetic, but so pained at the same time. We can't understand how this guy could be such a fucking monster. We don't get it. So he becomes a shorthand for monstrous behavior because it's creepy and weird. Like, that's all it is. It's just. Do you think it's just, disrespectful of the victims that he's been used in Kesha songs, Eminem songs, Katy Perry songs, etc.? Or do you think th- those artists like kind of were just literally sh- not only did it rhyme and did it work with the, you know, iamic pentameter of listen, the fucking song, but like, listen, you know what I mean? Like, should they the be mention, sorry? The mention of Jeffrey Dahmer is the least offensive thing about Kesha's music. Like, I refuse to engage with Kesha's music on an intellectual level. so funny, dude. Okay. Like, come on. I agree with you there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay. So, yeah. But I mean, essentially, like, when I look at Jeffrey Dahmer's chart, it's like, yeah. And then his Pluto is in a beautiful trine exactly with his Jupiter in Capricorn. He also has his Saturn in Capricorn. He has his IC in Capricorn. So, for him, like, he was basically taking all of his like Eden, that's that's like a little deeper, too much capricorn that's a little too much capricorn for comfort well well it's like he basically has the ability to take whatever he's like fantasizing about and envisioning and you know a- a- obsessively imagining when it comes to the people in his community that he wants to do something to and then when he applies that focus into the community he actually has a a devastating ability to maneuver and control and and expand the power that he has within his community and be the ultimate daddy of the community which is to say you're a bad boy i'm gonna eat you now and he is and then he has his he has his saturn exactly uh square his moon so it's almost like I do think on a soul level, he did know that what he was doing was wrong, but he actually chose the impulse of creating a structure around how to hide what he was doing and get away with what he was doing, but serve his own needs first, which is the worst case scenario for how this chart could play out. I agree with you. That all sounds very accurate. I would like to implore everyone to send us their questions and we can make this a two-parter. Later this week, if anyone wants to send us any questions, but I have to go tweepy nine nights and I'm scared. Get out of here. Go to bed. I know. I know. Go put on housewives or something. If fist fight with housewives looks light now compared to this, because this show was yeah, you know, graphic warning. If you haven't watched there, there's a lot of holding of organs, intestines, dead animals, et cetera. It's not quite, uh, it's, it's not quite a. A, a fun true crime biopic that we're used to. It's pretty. There is disgusting. no fun true crime. True crime is twisted and terrible. Like I still don't it understand. Is. It really is. Yeah. I think I think it's so popular because people want to want to tell themselves that if they watch enough true crime, they're going to understand how to keep it from happening to themselves. But the thing, no, is, but I also think you can't understand that- a psychopath. You can't understand them. They're going to outsmart you. Nope, so good was- luck. There was something that you said during the Gabby Petito episode that I've now repeated a thousand times since, and I think is really true. And I've thought about it a lot within myself when I go to sleep to my SVU lullaby every night, which is that I do think that there's something about watching true crime and about learning about these serial killers, et cetera, 
that almost like skips over the step of honoring the victims and acknowledging the pain and like gets us into this like intellectualizing of the circumstances with which so like you could say like yeah i'm trying to look out for red flags i'm trying to learn about this i think actually what it does is numb us to the fact that this is actually possible and this shit actually happens and that's i think we're trying to numb in some way and i thought why i think why ryan murphy is such a great director and such a great producer is because sarah armor who hasn't had a nightmare in you know i don't know 25 years went to bed and had nightmares because of actually how viscerally communicative his his filmmaking was yeah but also like I I think I'm more numb to true crime when I don't watch it because I'm able to black out of my head the idea that it could ever happen. I will say, though, like as somebody who lives truly on the edge, I was having nightmares. I woke up. I, I like walked through the house, made sure every door was locked. It was like the first thing that I've watched or read or understood in a long time. I've been like, oh, wait. People are psychotic. There is danger looming. Like you, yeah, but there are very few. I don't lock the car. I don't lock the house. I don't fucking lock anything. I'm like, we're good. You know, but now I'm like, lock everything. There's psychos out there. You have to know though that the people who are that psycho are few and far between. Right. It is true. And I guess that is also why there's so much fascination about them and why you might say that, like, and I don't also, know. also, Sarah, Sarah, they're all in the Midwest and the South. They're not in New Jersey. Uh-uh. It's always in the Midwest, dude. Come on. Space trash. Trash in space. Space trash. Lifestyles. The rich and Uranus. Space trash. Celebrities, they're trash. But the astrology can help us understand. Transmission incoming. (laughs) Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.